Today, in Future History. Welcome, sentient beings. Time moves at a slow and steady pace, but history takes leaps and bounds and is rather herky-jerky at times. It is messy and leaves gaps which are hard to fill. It is really fuzzy in places and sometimes so multidimensional in interpretation that there's little one can do but fill paragraphs with explanations and caveats that indicate, quote, complicated stuff here, proceed with caution, end quote. Fortunately, all of history cannot be conveyed to any one living being through any one single medium. It must always be a selection and often will be chosen for criteria other than absolute importance, accuracy, or even relevance. It is with this in mind that these notions are contrasted entirely by the obvious value and coherence that is presented in today's choice for the events of August 26th. This date in 4567 marks the official laying of the cornerstone of the town of Mysteryburg. In some ways, its founding was inevitable because of its basis of comfort and joy, but it still took an incredible vision and a month-long binge to come about and become the first fictionation. The idea of Mysteryburg is directly based on the theories, writings, and actions of the pop philosopher Jancy S. Lawrence. Lawrence spent the greater part of her life working at the Bure Palladino Television History Archives Institute in San Lomas, California, from working as a junior intern at the age of 14, through summer jobs and paid apprenticeships in university, then as a freshly graduated art history psychology triple major student turned full-time junior staff, and eventually as the executive director. The institute combed garage sales, scoured personal data collections from estate bequeathments, resurrected ancient and abandoned torrent sites online, and performed extensive archaeological excavations at the former sites of studio production offices and video rental emporia, all to find long-lost audiovisual productions made during the golden era of visual storytelling, from approximately midway through the 20th century to the first half of the 21st century, before the media wars heated up and Disney Warner Apple Rogers bought the remaining stakes in the North American and Western European governments, also Sony Fox Paramount Baker Leslie. One day, a treasure trove was unearthed, a vast collection of ancient hard copy media in the form of DV somethings, old fashioned electric paper books, sound archives of music locked on very gaudy looking shiny silver platters, and other ephemera such as replicant posters, and even a diorama. In all, it contained a complete run of over 1,800 different distinct series. All this was found in a forgotten sub-basement in a house in eastern Fanada, America, or Canada, as it would have been known at the time. The original owner of this collection was only partially decoded as Affine, but most consider that to be a pseudonym. Many of the titles were known about, but entire genres were freshly represented, having had only a handful of poor-quality replications discovered before. Among them was what would later be referred to as the Micro Soft Collection, 
named for its subject matter having a genuinely sweet and non-disturbing nature, and it being composed of generally short sequences of movie-length self-contained stories. Later, this would be renamed the Cozy Mystery Collection, after a considerable amount of confusion and some hereditary legal fights. The collection quickly became Jancy S. Lawrence's favorite, and indeed a favorite of the entire Institute. But none were as dedicated as its leader. Lawrence studied over 400 literary, television, movie, and musical sources to attempt to discover both their essence and their appeal. And she studied all of that in the course of only four weeks. With red-rimmed eyes and askew hair, she emerged from her self-imposed exile and declared, quote, I found it, the very thing which drives these societies forward, and will make us all very, very happy. End quote. Lawrence then fell unconscious and slept for nearly 64 hours, wrapped in soft blankets and listening to calming, delicate music while the scent of oranges and pine trees wafted from gently burning candles. When she awoke, the redness was gone, replaced with a gleam that at first scared her roommates and colleagues and then encouraged them. The scheming began, and quickly a vision board was assembled. After several months of planning, designing, and scheming, the core group expanded its search and opened up for consultations. Several companies were brought into the fold, including the Tower of Western Magi, J. Datsonian, Red Coyote, Angry Chapeau, and several other prominent companies who were less known for city planning and more known for role-playing games. The group remained somewhat secretive, but had definitely received some funding. Later, it would be revealed that considerable money from the estate of Esther Calloway had been donated to the cause. Calloway was a famous author of both the Elemental Jones and Sunshine Mathers series of popular gentle murder mystery books. Land was purchased in the middle of Ontario, a region in that former nation of Canada, and development began. Located to the northeast of the town of Unionville, a vast area of forest was carefully thinned and partially cleared. In the retrospective book published by a founding member of the plan, called Making Dreams Come True, it was revealed that this location was chosen for its proximity to dozens of small towns and rural locations used in the filming of several beloved cozy mystery series, including two different adaptations of Calloway's own Sunshine books. When it came to zoning laws and incorporation, the newly minted Mysteryburg was officially designated as a corporate town based around a year-long entertainment venue. All of the founders were designated as initial shareholders, and every citizen afterward would be declared either cast, crew, or client. It took only two years for the area to be transformed from featureless landscape to an entire town, complete with all the local businesses that would be needed. Finally, word began to spread amongst the network of fans, and a grand lottery was held. Only 5,000 spots were available in the first round, and nearly 21,000 applied. Once they were chosen, the lucky few were instructed to move to the town, and then the rest of the design continued. Memorable street names were created by eager committees, many reflecting works that inspired the town itself. Quirky local holidays were brainstormed over pots of tea and cookies, 
and every holiday that had ever been celebrated with loving attention in story was given star treatment, from Christmas to Kwanzaa to Hanukkah to dozens of others. By the end of the first three years, there was a major celebration each month, with several in December. Odd traditions were dreamed up by artists and poets, and then backstories written with supporting physical evidence built to appear historical. Only a handful of these were in the initial design, with the intent that the entire calendar would shift on a regular basis, cycling through different collections of traditions every decade or so, with new ones added from time to time and old ones retired, only to be inevitably brought back for a new generation to experience. Overall, the Society of Mysteryburg was designed from the very fundamentals on up to be comforting, cozy, nurturing, and utterly immersive. It was part game, part genuine expression of kindness, and part voluntary theater. It was also surprisingly egalitarian, with the roles in the town redistributed on a quarter-year basis, although people could petition to continue in theirs if they were really so good at it, and others supported their cause. For example, Bodia K. Hallison retained the title of Busybody Neighbor for nearly 40 years, eventually conceding the role and taking up the similar position of wise old lady whom everyone in the town knows with just the right thing to say. The town functioned by embracing and enhancing the best of all those cozy mystery worlds. There were comfortable, non-chain coffee shops on every corner. There were no malls, but dozens of locally owned art, furniture, and clothing stores. Crime was kept low, except in designated areas, and all of the criminals were given careful parameters and a steady salary. Sure, there was a murder every week, and it was up to a randomly selected sleuth and his or her dedicated team of friends, helpers, and experts to solve it, but the deceased were really just given a vacation for a week, although they were sometimes called on for recreations, dream sequences, misdirected clues, and messages from the dead. The entire existence for people in this town was made up of a drive to inhabit these wonderful stories in the best way possible. After only a few months in operation, the town expanded again, once more with an overwhelming number of applicants. Thousands more moved to the town although the population was kept deliberately stable at around 65,000 for many years. Hundreds of thousands participated seasonally, however, visiting the town and being designated either guest stars or extras. Mysteryburg became the largest resort and interactive exhibit on the entirety of the planet. Eventually, as many other governments and societal elements collapsed, the population choke was released, and the town swelled to over a quarter of a million permanent residents, with dozens of mid-sized satellite towns like Auroraville, Cabotin, Holmestown, Hare's Tallow, and McLean Town, although the latter has been rumored to be involved in a pay-for-position scheme that discredited it somewhat in the eyes of the dedicated Mystery Burgundians. In 4622, Mysteryburg declared itself and the surrounding collection of near-cozy villages and satellite towns to be an independent nation in the most calm, bloodless, and ultimately appreciated way. Not a single of the remaining nations in the world objected, and in fact many sought to put embassies in the central town or nearby. Mysteryburg continued to thrive and expand, and has inspired similar enclaves around the world. Some of them were based on the same concepts but chose different eras or authors as their focus. Eduardia was a permanent turn-of-the-19th-century setting based off of Sherlock Holmes, 
albeit one with modern plumbing and available but sequestered access to other modern versions of contemporary technology, such as medicine and physical work replacements. Others have gone a distinctly different route, but with a similar goal, envelop the inhabitants in the things they like most from stories, and do so as comprehensively, genuinely, and comfortably as possible. The sprawling metropolis of Favicon is a neon-drenched, neo-noir technological marvel of a city, with actual advanced cybernetics and robotics readily available, easily, and fully sentient robots making up about a third of the population. Brown Town celebrates a rougher but considerably fascinating future history, modeling itself off a noble storytelling corpus of space westerns, bringing in a combination of compatible science fiction stories such as Firefly, Farscape, and Star Wars, in an admittedly original mashup. Inevitably, however, some of the descendants of the residents who chose to live in these towns are not as keen as their parents to stay. Some migrate out to the remainder of classical countries. Others find themselves going to a different fictionation, as this class of country is now called, but the large majority of them remain on the outskirts of one of these towns, near enough to visit, but far enough away that a relatively normal life can be had. Most move back within a few years, realizing that the fictional world created inside a fictionation is really meant to be a comforting, evolving celebration. The rest tend to go out into the world, find what interests them, and participate heavily in making new tales, becoming the newer generation of story creators. Some of them become so good at telling narratives that they attract fans and occasionally have entirely new fictionations created for them. The cycle goes on. The next chapter is always around the corner. All you have to do is press play. This has been Today in Future History. Inevitably, this world is what we make it to be. The choices we have available to us often seem limited, but the reality is that imagination and determination are the only limits. Tune in tomorrow to discover what you've been missing, not by finding it in the episode, but by discovering it deep within, the laundry basket, where you've been chucking everything in your life for the past week. Stay calm. And remember that you, too, are nothing more than a story, strutting and fretting your hour upon the stage until inevitably you either receive the catcalls of collective poor taste or simultaneously get the at-first hesitant clapping and eventual uproarious screaming of appreciation from the people who like, who really like, you, Joe.